1: It's another Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast, Super Bowl Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Of course, Julian McKenzie is here with me, Justin Cuthbert, uh, as we go through the latest in hockey and what's been a busy stretch in the hockey world with two Olympic tournaments going on right now. Of course, the NHL and the throes of everything, and we're like approaching silly season as well with the trade chatter beginning to ramp up. What's going on, Julian? How are you?
0: Yeah, man. Living the dream. I'm excited just as you are for trade talk. That means uh, I can just throw a whole bunch of trade questions at uh, Chris Johnston pretty much at every episode that we do up until the trade deadline and see if he says something that uh, he shouldn't be saying. And then, boom, our podcast goes viral. That's what I'm hoping for.
1: That's good. That's uh, that's what you want. I mean, CJ's uh, a little bit more intel than we have on this show combined, but that's okay. We'll, we'll make doing, We'll talk about what cj's talking about we'll we'll uh we'll make it happen what is the plan for super bowl for you
0: uh i'm gonna have a few friends over and uh i am gonna make ribs i'm gonna make some chili uh oh. i'm gonna probably have some waffle fries as well my mom is making patties uh we we, we, we ball in this year i don't think i've ever had like know. a super bowl party but uh no nah, this is um, I think I think this year we'll uh, – I'm hoping things will be okay. But it, before I even get to that, like, I have to watch the Canadians, obviously. By the time you get this, the Canadians game may have already happened, but obviously, uh, you know, just a, a pretty busy Sunday. But uh, I'm ready for
1: it. I'm in. Uh, yeah, if, if you're going to get chili – I mean, ri- chili, slow cooker, I'm sure you can get that done, maybe pre-chopped. Maybe you're all set to go. Maybe it's on already. But uh, ribs take a little time. So uh, we'll try and keep this short because you got a game to cover and a party to host. Uh, so let's get into it. I, by the way, go to a friend's house. It'll be fine. I'm not really doing anything. Not cooking. Bring some chips. Bring some beer. That's all that needs to happen. Okay, let's (laughs) do... That's pretty standard. Let's do that hockey, I suppose. Uh, Big week in the Montreal area. So, uh, of course, I'm going to ask you for your opinion on everything that goes into Marty Saint-Louis being named... How about... Before I get into it, did I do okay with that pronunciation? I've been really struggling around you with French pronunciation. Saint-Louis. A lot of people saying Saint-Louis. Not Saint-Louis. Saint... Louis, St. Louis, around this market? St. Louis. St. Louis the, is fine. It's not St. Louis? No, I mean, Martin St. Louis.
0: I'm i mean, even
1: French wrong.
0: Here's the thing. Like, if you're going to be full on French, you're, you might as well just be like Martin St. Louis. But like, Marty St. Louis is, is good. I, I, I don't know if that is – you hear any particular difference? Also, if you want to feel better about yourself, and I don't – and I'm not trying to ridicule the person's French here. It's just really interesting to see. Uh, Marte Saint-Louis, in his, like, first few press conferences, he'll – when he's, like, obviously speaking mostly in French, he'll find himself, like, trying to catch his words and be like, oh, what's the word for uh, process? Or what's the word for this thing? He finds himself doing that a lot. Ooh. What am I – <laughs> Which I find is, I, like, personally, I just find, like, very funny. Because, obviously, there's a whole big deal about the coach being francophone, GM being francophone, and all that. And Marte Saint-Louis, who spent a lot of time over the last few years being in America, is trying to, like, catch his words. It's not a big deal. It's just an observation. Don't go running with that storyline. But, like, it, it was just something that, you know, I thought was very interesting. But, again, not a big deal. And also just you can feel better about it if you're trying to chase French pronunciations.
1: Oh, well, he's got to sharpen the school, uh, the tools. He's got to sharpen the coaching knife. And I guess he's got to sharpen the language knife just a little bit, but I'm sure he'll be fine uh, as a French speaking person growing up. He'll be, he'll be all right. Spending a lot of time in Tampa, I suppose. Um, what do you make of the, the decision? Uh, does it make sense on your end? Um, obviously this is someone who's a legend in hockey, Hall of Famer, a guy that's respected immensely. Um, But someone who doesn't have much coaching experience. And there is a tricky job at hand here for the Montreal Canadiens with a team that is being torn down as we speak and probably wants to keep some semblance of hope and positive enthusiasm and energy alive. Uh, Is he the right person to do that? Is he the right person for X's and O's? Or is he just the right person to make a guy like Cole Caulfield continue on an upward trajectory rather than one that seemed to be diminishing a little bit?
0: So the coaching. We all know the lack of coaching experience is, is very much there. Uh, he was coaching like a, a U13, like Pee-wee team before he joined the Montreal Canadians as head coach. Let's get that out the way. Uh, and that being said, like the rest of the assistant coaches that were there when Dominic Ducharme was head coach are still around, including Luke Richardson. So I think if he's really worried about X's and O's and stuff, he can always lean back on the assistant coaching staff that's there in terms of motivation and Cole Caulfield. I think the fact that he has the resume that he has as a undrafted turned hall of fame player, Stanley cup champion, heart trophy winner, two-time art Ross winner. Like if that's not enough to want you to get feel motivated for playing for a guy like that, I'm not sure what else can be done here. The Canadians are also in a unique position. Well, not unique, but they're in a position where they're not going anywhere. They're not making the Stanley cup playoffs. So what does it really hurt to have Martin St-Louis be the head coach of this team? I don't think it really does anything. I I think there are some fans actually, uh, maybe like a small faction. I think there's a small faction of fans who are worried that Martin St-Louis came across as too competent when he started his his press conference with the Canadians and the the way that the team has looked through through the first two games. There may be a small faction of fans who think that he's so competent that the team might actually win too many games. I don't mm. think that's going to happen with Marte Saint Louis, but I think the like,
1: so far dignified losing, right? That's it.
0: Like the yeah, first that's two, what you like want those. First, that's it. That's exactly what you want. Like I think if Canadians fans are very much all in on on trying to get Shane right. By the way, uh, parts of the management staff, including Ken Hughes and Jeff Borden, watch Shane Wright on Saturday night. So yeah, even the management staff knows what's up as well. Uh, but I, I don't. I'm, they're tired of seeing them lose like seven-one, and seeing guys with no fight. And the players in the locker room are absolutely tired of that. But Martin Saint Louis, with the way that he conducts himself, the fireiness in his belly. I think there are guys who will at least get some sort of wake-up call and realize, you know what? For the rest of the season, even if they're going to lose, they should at least fight for Marte, for the rest of the coaching staff, for themselves as well. I think the coaching change was necessary in terms of helping them get to dignified losing as opposed to uh, whatever the heck we saw over the last how many games.
1: How do you, like, categorize Dominique Ducharme as a head coach? Like, was he a bad head coach? Was he not equipped to coach at the NHL level? Like, what, what was his downfall? Because it seemed – it seemed as though he was along for a pretty impressive ride from Gary Price and the rest of that team that just found it at the right time. Uh, got rewarded. He's going to be paid through until 2024 uh, at, the coaching, at the NHL coaching salary level, which is great for him. Um, but it seems like he kind of won the lottery a little bit. And he might not be NHL head coach material. Uh, that's, that's an outsider's perspective. I wonder what you think about that.
0: Yeah, the thing with Dominic Ducharme, I'll give him I'll give him this like the circumstances in which when he as they were when he became interim head coach for the Canadians smack in the middle of a bubble season uh, basically was using his morning skates to kind of impart his own tutelage on players just basically spent the first like month or so getting himself up to speed uh, helping the team and, and getting his own game plan in. And, of course, with game, the schedules being compressed as, as much as they were because of COVID, and, of course, whatever there was like a mini-COVID outbreak with the team last year. there's a bigger one this year. The players that were removed from the roster in the offseason. I think there's a list of factors you can bring up with Dominic Ducharme that could make the case that he didn't necessarily get a good deal through the 83 games he coached as head coach. That being said, I think the fact that players I understand there was a lot of losses they had to go through but a loss of motivation and there were just moments where just his coaching just did not look sound at all especially on the defensive side and I understand that a lot of that can fall on Luke Richardson as well who coaches the defense but through the first two games of, Mar- of the Martin Louis era like the the Canes' defense is playing more man and Jeff Petrie said enough himself that the directions on defense are a lot more clear than what they were under Dominic Ducharne. That's a fail on him. That's an indictment on, on, on what he was doing as head coach, especially this year. I think there were too many moments where we were looking at the Canadians on the ice and we we're like, well, why did that happen? And people all year have been like, yeah, well, they're trying to play to this Dominic Ducharme system. Justin, truthfully, I cannot tell you, I cannot explain to you what that system is. I cannot, if you were to ask me, like, tell, you, tell me what the system is. I don't know what it is. And I think there are guys in that locker room who did not know either. So I think at the end of the day, while there were a lot of factors that went against him. By the way, he also went through – he tested positive for COVID during the Stanley Cup playoffs as well. He, like, missed yeah. games in the Stanley Cup final too. He's gone through a lot in these last – like, in the last year because he got hired, like, as, as interim head coach, like, this time yeah. last year essentially. He didn't
1: last more than a year, yeah.
0: Yeah. So he could write a book on the last year, but a lot of his own decisions, I think – uh, kind of contributed to his downfall. I didn't even mention the fact that he scratched guys like Jesperi, Kakanyemi, and Cole Caulfield at the beginning of the playoffs. I didn't yeah. even mention the fact that there are other guys who played this year, who people are scratching their heads wondering like, well, why are you scratching the few players on the team this year who have, you know, given a damn about the year? Rand Pitlick comes to mind. Michael Pizzetta, who's a fourth line guy, but he's actually shown energy and he's actually given a damn throughout the year. I think there was a lot of curious decisions that Dominic Duchar made and the lack of communication skills, which I which I think we were led to believe were going to be good. I don't think they were necessarily as great as some people think they were. All those factors I think kind of contributed to his downfall in
1: Montreal. We spoke on a different platform yesterday and we had a conversation after you had left because you mentioned Emily Castongay going to Vancouver and Danny Briere. Those were two names that. Um, interviewed with Montreal. And of course, we're talking about Charm and Saint-Louis and Kent Hughes. You know, this was this year has been about putting together the team that's going to take this this group or this roster or whatever this roster is going to look like to the next phase of this life cycle, right? So we've got, mm-hmm. you know, Jeff Gorton coming in, Kent Hughes coming in, and now Marty Saint-Louis coming in. But it seemed like they were advertising, hey, we're going to be this. We're We're going to add a lot of people. We're going to be very diverse. We're going to bring in a lot of different opinions. Um, and that hasn't happened in Montreal as much as it's happened in Vancouver. And I wonder with Danny Briere going elsewhere and cast gay going elsewhere, like, you know, what was advertised in Montreal and in Vancouver seems to be happening in Vancouver, but not in Montreal. Did, was there sort of like, do you sense that the writing was on the wall a little bit with like the, the buck stops with Jeff Gordon, and that wasn't as appealing as maybe the environment Jeff or Jim Rutherford's trying to create in Vancouver, where it is going to be this immensely collaborative effort. Are, did we learn something about Montreal's like management team and their plans and the fact that, you know, who swings the hammer is Jeff Gordon and then Ken Hughes and anyone else is going to be involved in this team is going to be reporting to them.
0: That's a very good question. And I'm not sure if there's an immediate way to figure that out right now. Here's the one thing I will say about what is there with the structure in place with Jeff Gordon, Kent Hughes, and Martin St. Louis. One, they're very connected to each other. I'll say two things. One, they're all kind of connected to each other because they've known each other through different walks of life or different teams that they were affiliated with. And I think in some way their kids are all playing with each other in university and other parts of life as well. So yes, there is that. It's very interesting. And I think, and I believe when Mark Bergevin was GM of, of the Montreal Canadiens, he, he did get some criticism for bringing in people that were like minded to him, his boys essentially, and giving them opportunities in the front office. The second thing, which is a big difference from what Mark Bergevin was trying to do in Montreal, which is build a team that was big and strong and, and rugged, Kent Hughes, Jeff Gordon, Martin St. Louis, all have a philosophy where they want to be offensive-minded people. Jeff Gordon gets a lot of credit for bringing in guys like Brad Marchand into the fold in Boston. The New York Rangers, as they are right now, Jeff Gordon, we, we joked about it on Zone Time, if it was up to Jeff Gordon, maybe they'd still be doing the rebuild. But the Rangers look like a contending team right now, and Jeff Gordon... uh pretty much was a big reason why they got to the position that they're in. He helped pen that letter that told fans, hey, we're going to go through a rebuild. And now the Rangers fans are reaping the rewards that Jeff Gordon has sown into the ground. So I think for fans in Montreal, at the very least off of what's being said between those two, and then Martin Saint-Louis going on his press conference saying that he doesn't like systems or putting his players in these boxes and trying to let them kind of roam free and and, and go for these correct reads and all that. Like fans right now, they might not necessarily be thinking, oh, man, you know, it would have been great if we had that diversity of opinion with Gay and other women in the front office. The fact that the guys in place now are preaching or at least desire to have a style of play on their team that fans have not seen in over a decade. I feel like that has kind of gone to the back burner now in terms of what the rest of the front office will look like or what has been originally promised. But it is a good point because Jeff Molson, the owner of the Montreal Canadiens, said that there would be a diversity of opinions in this front office. And it was possible that we could be seeing women in this front office as well. There seems to be conflicting reports over whether or not Emily Castonguay really did get an interview with the Montreal Canadiens or really was just at least considered as a serious candidate to work as the general manager of the team, or at least work in the front office. And the Canes are still going to have to figure out who else will be in there. Is Vincent Cavalier really going to be part of the front office, but from Tampa who else are they going to look at for the for the front office for this team? A lot of questions need to be asked about this. I think, though, uh, I think Daniel Sauvageau, who has experience, uh, at least on the women's side, working in a front office, it wouldn't surprise me if she was announced in some capacity. I believe she's working with Radio Canada for the Olympics right now, and maybe that's why we haven't heard anything there yet about what position she might have. Maybe she turns into an AGM for the Montreal Canadiens going forward, but... Yeah, I think right now the fact that the guys who are in place for Montreal, uh, they've preached a style of, of they they want the want they want the team to reach a style of play that so many fans have been salivating for. It's kind of put this freeze on in everyone's minds about what exactly the rest of the front office could look like.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, these are maybe they're not so different, but it seems like these two examples are very much different. With you know like-minded individuals group think happening potentially in Montreal. And I'm not necessarily suggesting that's a bad thing. I think the most important thing is to have that figurehead who's going to make the decisions, who is very competent. And I believe Jeff Gorton is that guy. I believe he will do a great job, um, but you want that diversity of opinion as well. And I think that's valuable over the Vancouver side. It'll be interesting to see how, how both these situations work, or if Montreal sort of gravitates a little bit more towards what's happening in Vancouver with a couple of, Uh, additional hires let's move on to Edmonton where the more consequential coaching change was made I mean Edmonton's only a few games out of the playoffs uh, and it was made because not making the playoffs would be a disaster for the Edmonton Oilers this season Uh, so clearly a little bit more pressure to perform on Jay Woodcroft when compared to Marty St. Louis Um, and they got a result in their first game I I, I don't know exactly how that went down but they got a W they got two points with Woodcroft uh, and they should move forward and try to build on that I don't really have too much of an opinion on this. I think Dave Tippett clearly something was fractured and it doesn't really matter how good of a coach you are. Sometimes if you lose the room like Travis green, I thought like I had a lot of confidence in him, but if Elias Pettersson just decides he doesn't want to play for you anymore, what are you to do as a head coach? I think maybe a similar thing happened with Mike Babcock. He graded people the wrong way. He sat Jason Spets on opening night and guess what? They didn't really want to play for him anymore, at least it seemed, with the way that they performed that year. It seemed like something was fundamentally broken with the Toronto, and it played itself on the ice. Seemed the same thing happen in Vancouver. Played itself on the ice. Boudreaux's gotten a little bit better out of them, but not quite where it needs to be. And I think the same thing kind of was happening with Dave Tippett, where it just wasn't working for whatever reason, despite his resume being pretty good. Now, it's interesting because they've gone through a long line of impressive coaches, like... They've been through a lot of guys who have been, you know, maybe considered Hall of Fame, at least have had great success in the NHL at previous stops. And now they go to someone who has a lot of familiarity with the organization and Jay Woodcroft, who uh, was retained when Todd McClellan was fired. He was reassigned and told, hey, go be in charge of Bakersfield and maybe we'll talk later. And of course, they have talked later. So there is some familiarity with McDavid and Drysidle and Woodcroft. Uh, and you don't really know anything beyond that. Uh, except that it's not Dave Tippett anymore and that the Oilers still don't have goaltending. So can Woodcroft fix everything? No. But if he implements something special, he could potentially overcome the problems which are goaltending and defense. So hard to really form an opinion because we don't know too much yet. Um, But what are your impressions of the Oilers' move from Tippett to Woodcroft?
0: Yeah, I, I think it was at a point where the, the stakes are too high. It's too, it's too crazy of a situation for uh, Ken Holland to just stick by one coach. I get that. I don't think he had ever fired a coach midseason before, as long as he, as long as he had been GM, of course, a good, a good reason why was because he was a GM of the Detroit Red Wings who were very successful for a very long time. So of course he didn't mm-hmm. have to do that, but I think with the pieces that are in place, and whatever they really, and of course, they still need to do something by the deadline to ensure they make the playoffs. There's still a f- couple of points out of making the postseason. Something had to be done. And if you can't trade away a player, you already signed a Vander Kane. The only thing you could really do is let go of, of Dave Tippett and just let Jay Woodcroft kind of handle the reins. Uh, I, I I'll, I'll add this too. I, I think the notion that you know people like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl being coach killers. And, and I understand they've gone through a lot of coaches. I'm not sure that's necessarily a fair take. Those two are really good players. It's just the rest of the roster has to kind of, you know, be up to their level or at least do their job. Mm -hmm. It's not right to kind of go at those guys. Uh, I I don't think that's necessarily a fair opinion personally, but I just think that James Woodcroft, as long as he just makes them competent, puts them within reach of making the playoffs, let the players kind of take over it from there. It could be a good move, but Ken Holland at the end of the day he's going to have to wear this if this does not work out and I still think I still think if it's all said and done if Ken Holland gets to stay around next year and the Oilers completely miss I I really think he's calling his boy Mike to fix the problem I really think Mike Babcock's going to end up in Edmondson maybe I'm wrong I just feel like with the way things are between those two and the opportunity that's there for Mike Babcock to try to go back into coaching I'm not necessarily co-signing him we all know that uh, what's transpired with him since that Toronto job didn't work out and sports that article that went out about him. I'm not saying he's forgiven or, or whatever. I'm not making an opinion on that, but we know how some, some people who we know how opportunities work for certain people in the league. And I think if an opportunity presents itself next year, if things don't work out this year, I think Mike Babcock's coming through the door as a very much a last resort for Ken Holland. But before we even get there, Jay Woodcroft at the very least, uh, just has to put his team in a good position. They could still do it. There's a lot of racetrack to be run this season, but they need a good run. And Jay Woodcroft, there's a lot of pressure on him to
1: get it done. And they probably need a goalie too. I mean, there's probably going to have... These moves they have do. to come in tandem, right? They, they, If the coaching change might have been necessary, even though, you know, perhaps Tippett was doomed by a certain thing, that thing being goaltending, but I felt like it was necessary anyway. But what's still essential is getting a new goaltender in there. I, I want... You make a good point. I think there's some similarities between St. Louis and Woodcroft in that they're being brought in to do a job but are not necessarily viewed as long-term solutions. Uh, That might be unfair to both St. Louis and Woodcroft, but it seems like the Oilers, you know, we've talked about Babcock a lot for a good reason, I think. And uh, with Montreal, I mean, they put their eggs in the basket of someone who, again, was coaching at a children's level. Um, before uh, taking the Montreal Canadiens job. So, again, Vancouver, Montreal, Edmonton, markets to watch uh, for sure. In terms of news that could affect who's going to win the Stanley Cup, because I don't think Montreal's not making the playoffs. Edmonton's probably not winning a Stanley Cup. I guess they could. But Vegas made the big news this week in terms of like what could really be meaningful in three or four months time when we're talking about a Stanley cup final. And that is that Jack Eichel on the precipice of his, of a return, but how are they going to facilitate facilitate that money-wise? Well, guess what circumvention is back and better than ever with Mark stone, apparently getting lined up for a potential long LTIR stint. Uh, You would have to go until the end of the season and return um, for the playoffs for this to work financially. And you know, it's very predictable. It's very deliberate. It's very obvious. Uh, I, I don't know how there wouldn't be an investigation into this because Mark Stone was just at the All-Star Game where the nagging back injury wasn't a thing, apparently. Played in the game, did all, did everything. Has played to this point and is now conveniently leaving when they're adding Jack Heichel. And I get it. Like, I actually am all for it. I have no problem with it at all because you mm-hmm. have to convince someone like Mark Stone to just not play hockey for months in order to do it but like at this point if you're not blatantly circumventing the salary cap are you even trying like i'd like to we we talk about every team is like they have they have no flexibility no wiggle room everyone does because you can always have these handshake agreements there is always a player who's a little bit banged up and of course maybe the back is an issue for mark stone but it's not preventing him from helping the vegas golden knights rack up points right now so i'll throw it to you with the question do you have a problem with, you know, the fact that we're seeing more circumvention of the salary cap, uh, and are you more excited to see Vegas at what will be even more powerful than we expected? Because we all thought, oh, they got to make a trade eventually, but apparently, with the Stone news, they don't.
0: Yeah, honestly, I have no problem with it, and 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 I'm with you. I think you have it right. Like, if you're not trying to get around the cap, like, are you are you even trying? And for teams like Tampa Bay, who are the obvious poster boys of cap circumvention uh, if you're able to do it you might as well do it so i don't have a problem with vegas doing it and and putting mark stone on ltir if that's going to be the case for jack eichel to be able to play if that's if that's what the parameters are with the salary cap especially in a flat cap world and even if it does go up maybe by what like a million over the next year or two or so like what else do you do if you're a competing team and you're not going to bring in that luxury tax that so many other people want like there's nothing else you can really do. So for people who are going to complain and say, oh, here goes Vegas out here cheating, doing the Tampa way. I mean, there's nothing else they could really do. I'm sorry. They're, you can't expect them to just shed salary and just not be a competitive team. At least they're trying to be competitive. Uh, like I was talking to an agent uh, last year um, of just about this. And he was just saying like, there's no other way for teams to really get ahead of, of the salary gap and, and make it work in their favor without doing stuff like this. So mm-hmm. teams know it. Agents know it. It's a bit ridiculous that people get mad about it, but that's, that's exactly how it works. And I would make the point again, like for a lot of fans who get upset at Tampa or, or going to get upset at Vegas, if their team was in the same position, they would do the exact same thing. And I'm sure some of those fans would very much just be like, well, Hey, you know what? That's just, what's going to have to happen. I bring up Toronto a lot because there are a lot of people from Toronto who are not happy about what Tampa Bay did. If Austin Matthews found himself in a position where he had to be on LTIR and Mitch, Mitch Marner and many other people had to pick up, pick up the slack, I don't know if those fans are going to complain nearly as much. If Montreal, if they were in a similar situation, same deal. So many teams, if they were in the same spot as Vegas was, they would do the same thing because that's really all you can do. It's just
1: the rule. Yeah, they would, uh, but all teams, many teams had a chance to go out and to get a player like Jack Eichel, and only the Vegas Golden Knights did it. They've shown that that boldness, um, and they always knew they had to do something, but they came up with probably the best solution, which is to well, put their best forward on, on long-term and, and play without him. It's not about getting the number one seed. Uh, Calgary Flames might be a good bet to win the division if you're one that places a bet down. But Vegas knows how good Vegas can be. Um, Vegas, being the bookies, knows how good the Golden Knights can be. Uh, They're up to plus 750 to win the Stanley Cup because they're going... Like, listen, they've been right there knocking on the door the last two years, the exact same team, except they added one of the top 10 centers in the entire league. I know we haven't seen him in a long time, but this is still Jack Eichel, $10.5 million Jack Eichel, entering what is already a Stanley Cup contending team. I mean, Vegas is going to be very strong and very formidable. And it's on every, every other team to try and match wits. Like if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, Jake Muzzin's had a tough year. He's gone through some head injuries and other things. Maybe you want to put him on LTIR and bring in some impact defensemen because guess what? You don't have enough right now. You don't have enough to contend and you're not trying the same way Vegas is trying if you're not finding those same loopholes. So I commend them for it. Uh Without, you know, with, without a soft uh, soft cap or a luxury tax or what have you, Uh, these are the the things that teams have to resort to in order to be their best. You don't turn down the opportunity to get Jack Eichel just because you've already showed ambition in previous postseasons. You go ahead and make it happen, and then you figure out a way. There's always a way. Mark Stone going on LTIR.
0: Could you imagine if at the next Board of Governors meeting, someone has the whimsical idea to say, we should make the salary cap count in the playoffs. Now, why doesn't the way like are it's, the it's actually cap?
1: ridiculous? <laughs> like, do you they, know how much they, opposition there would be. This. They're asking for yeah. this. Yeah, but like, the,
0: I'm sure there would be enough opposition to this. Like, there's, there's no like, if you're Tampa, if you're Vegas, if you're Colorado, all the big money spending teams, guys with talent. There's no way you would get a significant amount of people siding with it. I don't think that's fair to even suggest. Like, if everyone is able to do it. What's the problem? Get your mm-hmm. team up, spend, get the players in. Like, I, I don't know. I, I I just think whatever people just throw shade at those teams for doing that. Like, it's, I think it's just hypocritical, man. I like, think, I, I think
1: it's stupid. I don't know if it was oversight when they put together the CBA, but the fact that it doesn't count, like, that's when it matters the most. The I, most. I don't, <laughs> I don't really understand why it doesn't count in the playoffs. It definitely should, but it doesn't. And it's a good little oversight if it was oversight or forward thinking, if it was forward thinking, because it does make things more interesting. Uh, Absolutely you like does. If you're, we're going to go that
0: far, if we're going to go that far, we might as well pay the players in the playoffs too.
1: Definitely. Yeah, and that's, that's a, that's a weird one as well. I mean, they get a little bit for, I guess, whatever round they like get bonuses, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I'm not even sure how that works, but it's, it's funny that, you know, that's, your, but credit to the players because it's your day job. 82 games that's when you get paid but the best efforts we see are when they're not getting paid which is i guess a little bit of a credit to them at least um yeah i want to see i want to see some players put on ltir i think there's a lot of room for great teams to become even better and to try and keep pace with the vegas golden knights um okay let's go to the olympics quick candid impressions two and one after the preliminary round this is the men Uh, Mm -hmm. They did not win the group, so they've got to play an extra game. It'll be against China, who they just beat this morning pretty handily. I think that's a blessing in disguise that they're getting that extra game. We actually saw that four years ago in Pyeongchang, where they didn't look quite right through three games, and then they got an extra game. They won that, and, of course, they went on to win the bronze medal, which was a pretty decent result given um, all that went into it. Uh, But Canada, I don't know. They don't look that great the top six looks like it's lacking their best line has been their third line and their best player has been Kent Johnson who is an alternate coming into the tournament uh it looks like they got a lot to figure out and you know Eric Stahl quite well covering him last year he doesn't look like a top line center on a team that can win a gold medal right now he was of course idle going into this tournament hadn't played hockey got kind of handed this opportunity but it looks like he should be demoted but I don't think Hockey Canada will ever demote who is a future hall of famer in a tournament like this, it could be kind of their downfall that they don't have a dominant first line or a dominant second line. They're kind of trying to move the pieces around, but it seems like they might be that top center short, even though the player that is playing that role is certainly the one with the most pedigree.
0: Yeah. It might just go to show that going off of reputation doesn't always work. And and a team like the United States that opted to go with much younger players Uh, it's looking as if it might turn out to be the right decision for them. They may very well medal. They may very well win the whole thing when it's all said and done. Yeah, I find with the way Canada's playing, I'm with you on the side that says that, uh, you know, getting another game against China and, and trying to just push away through the knockout round, that could at least still turn into a positive result for them. Maybe they get to a third place game. Maybe they even go to the final. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely have some shakiness with the men's team. Not certainly not compared to the women's team. I, I think they're going to win the whole thing. The men's mm-hmm. team, I'm, I have I have some questions. I'm I'm not as sold, especially with their goaltending as well. Uh, Eddie Pasquale not necessarily looking as great. Uh, I wonder if Devin Levi will get a shot at any point as well. Just it's it's not. I have I have more questions about the men's team right now.
1: They're actually complete opposites. The men lack the top end talent. The women. Own the top end talent in the tournament. Of oh, course, it's, it's two teams, but even compared to the United States, I mean, the the Canadian women, their top end scorers, the Poulans and Fillies and Jenners, like they're putting the puck in the net at a rate that even the Americans cannot dream of right now. The Americans outplayed them, but they lost the game because they don't have those frontline scorers that Canada has. And of course, that's what the men are without. But the men on defense, Owen Power, Max Noreau, Matt Robinson, they're experienced. Well, Owen Powers got the pedigree. The other two have the experience. While the Canadian women, they only have two returning defensemen. Kind of look shaky at times. Really leaned on Jocelyn LaRocque and Renata Fast in that game against the Americans. So it's like we're looking at two completely different opposite teams for Canada in Beijing. And, uh, you know, I have, I have more faith, of course, in the women having success. Um, but maybe the men can find something here. They got to move the pieces around. Might want to go a little younger on the first power play because just expecting Eric Stahl to dominate on the power play when you got players like Mason McTavish and Josh Hosang and Kent Johnson on the second unit. They've
0: let's been see great. A little
1: bit more youth, see a little bit more youth, do what the Americans have done, uh, and let's lean on them in a, in attacking moments too. Like when you need that goal, are you going to Eric Stahl and Eric Odell? And Eric Odell's been great. But are you going to those players? Or are you going to the young guys who are oozing creativity and have all that talent? I, I feel like they got to make some tough tough calls and have some maybe tough conversations
0: i wonder if if team canada opting to go veteran over youth uh just kind of adds to the what's the phrase i'm looking for kind of adds to the reputation that Claude julian just doesn't trust young players
1: <laughs> yeah, I I mean, it's, shown, it's shown it's, it's shown it's shown. josh josh Hossein got demoted today he was the 13th forward so wasn't he hasn't he been good like what He's been okay the top line just hasn't worked out and the top line was hosang stall and mason mctavish and mason mctavish hasn't looked anything like the junior mason mctavish and that's kind of fair he's also playing with eric Stahl, who's not at the top of his game and hosang has not yeah. been terrific either so they're kind of leaning on that on that bottom half of the lineup a little bit too much but we'll see if they move the pieces around if they can get a little bit more cohesion in the second matchup against china and then come back for the quarterfinals uh, a little bit more prepared than they have shown, at least to this point. Uh, Super Bowl, you mentioned you're having people over, making ribs, making chili. What goes on the ribs? And give me a prediction.
0: Uh, Barbecue. I mean, I got some different seasonings. Uh, I don't need to go through the whole laundry list of them, but uh, the ribs right now are sitting uh, in my fridge, just kind of marinating. As soon as I'm done, I'm going to put them in the oven uh obviously gonna add some barbecue sauce uh I have like a secret sauce that I use uh, I'm not gonna divulge any okay. secrets but uh I'm gonna do that chili going chef, to... Julian
1: McKenzie here keeping it close <laughs> to the
0: uh I gotta slow cook some chili uh I gotta brown the meat first and then do that I actually have like ground beef like regular like meat and then uh, one of my friends is vegetarian so I'm gonna do like a special like I guess veggie or vegan chili just okay, thinking of them. You,
1: you, you got a lot to do, man. Let's get to the tire pops. Oh, I do. I, 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 I want to make sure that Chili's <laughs> done before halftime. Also, uh, Ra-
0: also, Rams are going to win the Super Bowl. Rams are going to beat the Bengals. I think their defense is going to be really good on, on Joe Burrow. And I know he's gotten by to this point by getting sacked and still winning those games. But that is a heavy front seven for, for the Rams. And the secondary is really good as well. Also, OBJ will be Super Bowl MVP. I say he gets gets a touchdown over 100 Drake yards. Drake will be a rich man. Drake will be oh, a yes. rich man if that happens. Absolutely. I'm picking the Rams. Uh two he's not a rich
1: man already. He's not a rich man already.
0: Two things. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll mention a tire pump, but I also mentioned uh, as we were doing this, uh, the Canadians announced Ben Sherratt, is on injured reserve. Uh, so that's mm. that's supposed to be their big asset that's supposed to get some big returns. Mm. And then the trade deadline, is this preservation? Is this something else? I'm not really sure what to say, uh, but that is just something that kind of happened as we were recording. Uh, also, uh, my tire pump for this week goes to Felix Ogiali-Asim, who finally, finally won a title. He's been in so many instances around the men's circuit in situations where he's been able to compete for a title. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. He finally got it done on Sunday morning, winning in straight sets in Rotterdam over Stefano pass. Uh, well done to the young Quebecer. Uh, congratulations. Your first title, hopefully the first of many for this young man. He's, he's touted as the future of tennis in this country alongside his boy, Denis Shapovalov. He needs a title to get there. Today is a really big day for him. So my tire pump goes to Felix Oji Ogiel- aliasu. Uh,
1: another little addition to what should be a great sports Sunday. Um he was my backup. My actual tire pump will tire pump will go to Max Perot. He won the first gold for Canada about six days ago, maybe a week ago. So we haven't talked about it yet, but it's a little bit in the rear view. But this guy overcoming cancer, and I know there's a little bit of like controversy over the gold medal and the judging but i don't really care this guy came back from cancer to win an olympic gold medal for canada canada's first in beijing so my tire pump goes to him and hopefully he's in the lou marsh debate uh when we pick that up in about nine months do we
0: do we have a do we have a new name for the lou marsh
1: yet because i don't think we do controversy there is we need a name for that right we'll get that soon i think i think we'll get let's get that the next the next one december uh, so hopefully he gets awarded in December with maybe not the Lou Marsh, but an award. Uh, and in my Super Bowl best bet, I don't I think the Rams are going to win, but the best bet that I have is okay. the double result, Rams to win the first half, Bengals to win the second half. That has both of those things have to happen plus 700 because I believe in the magic of Joey Burrow. I believe that Sean McVay folds under pressure. So I believe the Rams will get out early. And then it will get greasy at the end. And if it gets real greasy and it goes Cincinnati's way, I will be not quite like Drake, but a little bit, little bit better in the pocket.
0: Okay, I got a quick question then. What's the first song we hear at the halftime show?
1: I saw that being discussed as well. I think it's got to be the next episode based on like the beat alone. And like that's, yeah. that kind of gives you the opportunity for people to get excited before the music really gets going. So I, I feel like that's the number one. Uh, still, Dre has to be at the like crescendo. Yeah, uh, I I don't know what everybody else is going to roll with. I mean, Eminem's got this huge catalog. I don't I don't know if they're going to be doing like the famous Dre and Eminem songs that are a little bit off color sometimes,
0: uh, or can get there.
1: Um, but they'll figure out a way. I mean, I'm I'm excited for it. Doctor Dre. I, I mean, I think he's one of the best ever. So this is this is cool. It's a group of some of the best that have ever done it, and uh it's better for millennials. Like you like. We are a couple of years removed from like the Who, where like, you know, boomers get excited, but I don't know. I don't know. And then the weekend was good. And there have been some good ones recently, but this one is like made for people of a certain generation. And I think we both belong to that generation.
0: That's very true. Like, and, and you get some of the slightly old, people on the older side of our generation with the Dre and the Eminem and Snoop. And then maybe on the little in the middle and the, and the younger side with Kendrick. And obviously, Mary J. Blige on the other side as well. But like that's that's a crazy assembly of artists for one halftime show. Like that's mm-hmm. that has the And I think like you can go through some of the different collaborations they've done amongst each other. Like even like Kendrick like Mary J Blige have a song together. Like the potential of what could happen uh, is just incredible. And there's some surprises I'm sure they're going to pull up. Like what if like a Tupac hologram comes like ten years after I mean, the California
1: fact. Love makes makes sense off the bat too. Absolutely. I, I don't know if you want to start with someone who's not actually there, but I mean that's. It's it's a, is Dre, Dre featured on that song or just produced it? I, don't, I can't remember.
0: It's 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 Dre and, and Dre and Pac. It's okay. Dre and Pac. So they they both have verses on the song. and
1: it's in California. I mean, it makes a lot of sense.
0: Makes perfect sense.
1: Is that where you're Man. going with?
0: Yeah, that's, you can bet I, on these things, Julian. I, I I really need to. I know start you're not bet a betting guy, these guy, but uh, not a betting guy, but I really start. I gotta do that. I at first I was gonna say California love to start, but the beginning of the next episode beat is way too iconic to not start it's perfect to start the, the show. whole perfect to start yeah show. it it's just like you hear it and then like da, 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 da. it's like come on
1: they got to give I'm us one be... verse at least of forgot about Dre" too Oof. i don't know if they can man. i don't know if they can pull it off but
0: man it might I'll
1: just be like cut cut, cut. <laughs>
0: this, yeah it could be yeah. dicey
1: it could be dicey at points i think the whoever's running the sensor button might be working ot on on sunday evening yeah it could uh you know i it's a little it's obviously annoying when like the music just cuts out because they're just trying to time it up so hopefully that doesn't happen they keep it as clean as they can but i mean we're all at all all adults here I, i wonder why we can't just hear the odd swear but i digress julian Enjoy the ribs, get that chili going, get that meat browned, because that is key. Celebrity chef Julian McKenzie knows, and I know as well, that you got to brown that meat before you get it into the slow cooker. So get all that food going, enjoy the day, enjoy the Super Bowl, enjoy the game, and we will talk soon, probably on zone time, but at least next week on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Peace. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Thanks, buddy.